The Knowledge Series, a podcast from Thomson Reuters. Hello, my name is Ben Firth. I'm Head of Client Management for HiQ and Contract Express at Thomson Reuters. And today I'm speaking with John Hovell, who is the co-founder of Stra Tactical. So I've had a really interesting conversation today with John. From my perspective, what was really good about it was it wasn't a conversation framed around working within the walls of a law firm or from a technology and knowledge perspective, but really around that concept or the conceptual ideas about what is knowledge management? Where is it going today in the world we're working in? And also why is KM so important in this highly transactional tech-focused world we work in today? The Knowledge Series. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking the time out of your days to, to listen in and uh, welcome to episode four of our knowledge management uh, podcast series. It's a short season dedicated to exploring the art of knowledge. And in this episode, we're actually going to be looking at KM's role in modernizing legal ops. And joined today is a chap called John Hovell, and he's the managing director and co-founder of Stratatical. John, hi. How's it going? Hello. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here and have a conversation. John, before we get started, how do you pronounce your company? Sure. I thought you were going to say my surname. I guess both are tricky <laughs> to pronounce. So it's it's John Hovel. It's how you say the, the surname. And the, the funniest quick story that goes with that is I remember being 16 years old and I had heard for years all of my classmates say John Hovel, John Hovel, John Hovel for years. And I had to go to my mom at 16 years old and say, remind me again, how do we say our surname? Because I, I hear it in so many different ways. So that's the surname. And then the company name is Strategy Meets Tactics. So we, we did that creative, unacceptable English language thing. We blurred together strategy and tactics and created a word, stratactical. So it's got that um, sort of American, instead of stra, it's stra, like like American. So stra tactical is how we pronounce it. But you know what? There's maybe no right or wrong way. Whatever works for people is fine. Good. Listen, as we were just saying, lots to talk about here and very excited to see where this takes us. Legal ops is a bit of a buzzword right now in, in the legal community. So hopefully we can unpick that during this session, really. But before we get into that, I always love to understand how did you get to where you are today and, and a bit of about your, your background, really, if that's all right to ask. Wow, thanks for asking. It's always interesting to see what pops up with that question. So <laughs> let's see what pops up today. I guess I always like to start, you know, Alice in Wonderland told us to begin at the beginning, right? So I was born in Washington, D.C. and lived around the States for most of my life and career. Moved over to the south of England, just outside London, from 2013 to 2017. Uh, really enjoyed our time over there and then moved back to the States. I guess the reason I share that story is as a professional career had started with knowledge management, organization development, and diversity, equity, and inclusion before moving to England. And then frankly found that I loved it even more as I was living uh, in other countries around the world. So when we moved back, my family and I, to Washington DC in the States, two of us started a brand new knowledge management, organization development, diversity, equity, inclusion, and now what we would say conversational leadership consulting firm when we moved back. So uh, yeah, I guess it's what, four and a half years we've been out in the world practicing in that way. 
Fantastic. And so what sort of businesses or consulting do you work with in terms of industries or, or types of people or challenges? Could I, could I ask about that? Of course. You know, they tell you in strategic planning workshops and any kind of strategic planners or business planners will say things like, you need to focus, you need to have a niche, you need to pick one area, one type of customer, one type of client. I've got to be honest with you and say, that's not what we did. <laughs> we went out into the world and said, what organizations need or actually, let me even be more direct with you. The question that we ask when we go out into the world is, do you know a leadership team that feels stuck? And we see where the conversation goes from there. And so we have oil and gas, we have for-profit, non-profit, government, NGO, non-government organizations. We're in 16 different countries operating now. It really is, uh, in just a few years, quite a broad group of organizations. And I guess from that experience you've gained from, you know, traveling and seeing something around that kind of knowledge management piece and we'll kind of dig into, I think is, is do you think countries, not just people, countries regard knowledge management importance differently, depending on who you're talking to in different parts of the world? Is it shone differently in different lights? Yeah, for sure. In fact, the, 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 there's an old joke in knowledge management that says if you got five knowledge management practitioners in a room together and asked each one of them what's the definition of knowledge management, not only would you get five different definitions, oh. you'd probably get 10 different definitions <laughs> from five people. <laughs> so, yes. John, absolutely amazing uh, introduction and information there around, you know, what you do, where you've come from and, and what you're doing now with your own company. I just wanted to, um, to dig a little bit deeper on the reason for you changing and moving in your direction that you're on now. And, and just to kind of, if you like, you know, poke you a little bit in terms of, you know, what was the driver to change from what you were doing very successfully in, into, into your current situation and, and your vision of, uh, of education and, and uh, advice and uh, consultancy? Yeah, wow, I really, I do appreciate it. You know, so I practice knowledge management alongside uh, organization development. And what I'm hearing is your your question now to dig a bit deeper is kind of the, the OD, yeah. the organization development side. And uh, here's where I would take that quite humbly as best I can. My father passed away in 2019, so just a few years ago. And he started his career in psychology and switched over to information technology halfway through his career. And he gave me quite bold, quite direct guidance to begin my career in information technology. So I followed his advice and, and I really did enjoy writing code and, and working with technology and to this day still do. And yet I've had the exact opposite experience where I started in IT and my career and my path and this, this body that I live within has moved closer and closer to psychology and psychotherapy, which I do believe relates to these fields of knowledge management, organization development, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So there is a there is a psychology aspect to this work because it is technology is enabled by process, process is enabled by people. It is a people based bit of work that we that we work on here. Yeah, that makes sense. It's nothing without the people. It's just like you're just saying, source code, binary data, like that's right. it. Yeah, fascinating. Thank you. 
you know, if we think about knowledge management and the title is around modernizing legal ops, you know, legal ops is this buzzword at the moment. It's becoming, it's gone full circle in terms of it, it was, a, it was, it was something that was regarded quite highly in terms of visions and plans with firms. Then it got distracted as people sort of, uh, focused on their own worlds. But now legal ops is, is a big thing. Now, data, as far as I'm concerned from my own background, you know, data is, is a massive part of that in terms of how do we operate and what do we do with it? I guess a question that maybe I wanted to ask you is this has been an explosion of data and technology as well within that data house is have we become obsessed about data and we've lost focus on solving business problems? Yes. I mean, one of the classic things in knowledge management we talk about is data management, information management, knowledge management, and wisdom management. And not to get into details of all of them, but just to say quickly, there are differences and there are different ways to manage data versus managing information versus managing knowledge. And I'd like to think that underpinning all of them is so what, or what for, or call to action, or sense of urgency. What's the reason for doing the data management? What's the reason for doing information and or knowledge management? And that's where the definitions can be so different because that business purpose or that organizational purpose can be so different depending what your situation is. With this kind of this data collection, this obsession, I guess, is KM unbiased? Are we... Are we, are, are firms and organizations collecting data and using data in a biased or a, or an, on a non-biased way, would you say, from your experience with, with working with such a, a plethora of, of firms? Oh, that's a fun one. That's a, that's a relatively yeah, I mean, rare and unique one. Well done. Because people will only like to read what they like to read. People only like to write what they like to write. So from a KM perspective, surely that should be this most unbiased you know, plain kind of information gathering exercise and way that you display the data. So is it biased or is it unbiased? I would love to uh, record here and stand in front of you and say KM is unbiased. But I, in my heart of hearts and in my gut, that does not feel accurate to me. I believe, as you just said, the complexity of being human there's a beautiful chart out there. It's this very detailed circle of, I think it's called the 300 cognitive biases that most all of us have. And so I would, I wish I could say to you that it's unbiased and we're presenting uh, a fair, you know, broad perspective. I think because knowledge management is so focused on the human and so focused on emergence and agility and conversation, I think we need to be truthful and say that there's built-in bias that we may or may not even be aware. It may not be intentional bias, but I think there is some in there, yes. The subconscious bias in terms yes. of how we're, how we're interpreting information now. And uh, yeah, no, that's, it's unfortunate, you know, the world of how it is today with technology, as we all know, and we've seen these documentaries and we've seen these programs about it now, that the tech can create the bias sub subconsciously within your own mind, right? I mean, it's scary, but it's, it's the reality. So look, let's, I just want to, if we can just go backwards in time and, and ask someone who's clearly, you know, been in the thick of it in terms of that knowledge management sort of uh, change in, in technology and how it's portrayed and used, you know, if someone was to roll back to say the nineties or maybe early two thousands, compare that to today. How is the evolution of knowledge management changed? And that's really important to our listeners, I would say, because someone's joining this world 
And it's always really good to take a step back sometimes and go, actually, I, I see now why it is like it is today because of the past. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, happy to share. In fact, where I would point you is a, a friend of mine named Nancy Dixon, lives in, in Texas in the States. She has created a beautiful, highly respected chart called the Three Eras of Knowledge Management. I don't have it up in front of me, but I mostly have it memorized. So yes, the phrase knowledge management was born somewhere in the mid-90s, although another good friend of mine, David Gertine, will tell you, actually, knowledge management as a concept was born approximately 50,000 years ago when language was created. So, you know, there's there's even debate about that. But but to keep it simple, let's say mid-90s, the phrase and research and documents and books around knowledge management began. Well, if we're really, again, sort of looking back uh, with the knowledge we have today, what was really going on in the mid-90s was information management. That was that whole information overload is what we were talking about back then, where, wow, there's, there's emails, there's documents, there's databases, there's websites where I can get access to all the information in the world. I'm overwhelmed. What do I do with all of it? And IT departments, information technology or information management departments, were very focused on getting the websites to work, getting the databases to work. So here came this, this newly emerging field, knowledge management, saying, hmm, we don't even want to call them users. We want to call them people. We want to call them humans. And how do humans, with all of their emotions, with all of their biases, you just mentioned, how do they find information? How do they use information? How do they leverage and apply? So looking back in the mid-90s, it was really information management that knowledge management was doing. And then right around 2000, the year 2000, give or take, in Nancy's chart, she's got what she calls experience management. And that's where we went from augmenting information management or what she calls individual productivity, helping one person do their job better. Now we talked about experience management and it was about team and project-based productivity. So beyond the individual into relationships and groups and teams and experiences that frankly could never really be documented. I didn't even know, I wasn't aware of my experience until someone else asked me about it. And now part of knowledge management is experience management. So that was around 2000. And then around 2010-ish, give or take a few years, is when we started talking about idea management. And again, our good friends in information technology loved the idea of idea management, so they started building idea management systems, technology and tools to to get ideas created and flowing and shared. Great. Except the KM people were still very interested in people, process, technology, culture, change, process improvement, and the software to enable those things. So it really was um, a move into organizational learning, sharing ideas across an entire organization. And then if I'm not speaking for too long, where I would say now in 2020, 2021, 2022, just over the past few years, knowledge managers have started talking about conversations and have started talking about, well, because of the pandemic, because of climate change, because of structural racism, these things that go across one organization or across one country and go into industry-wide learning or multinational learning. Now knowledge management is looking beyond organizational boundaries and say, how do entire countries learn? How, do how does the entire 8 billion people on the planet learn together and you know, be agile and make you know, fit for purpose changes 
collectively. I mean, it's fascinating what you just said there, especially that piece at the end about the country's learning, you know, and about sort of that that subconscious bias we were just talking about in terms of, you know, the, the, the challenge there is, is you've got a country who needs to learn and be educated about something is creating the information in the right way that's accessible to everybody and is fair across every potential corner that needs to learn about something so mm. i think it's fun. The, the, the key thing in there that keeps coming back to me is technology okay so information is great but we now know that tech plays such an important part of this process yeah i think we were talking you know a while ago and you were talking about knowledge management and the responsibilities of the km and the technology and how that's linked together. I mean, I think I wrote down here 90% of tech jobs when you search for the term knowledge management are angled towards technology. So KM is this this thing, but it's tech that's driving it now, you know? Yeah, it's the uh, the tangible side. I think what we find is when you look at knowledge management, many organizations are quite results oriented and measurement oriented so they're looking for what's the side what's the tangible side that i can touch and i can see if it's being done and it's really difficult to measure and to see culture change uh, process improvement you sort of can see and measure that's not as bad as or as challenging as uh culture but then technology i can see it i can touch it i know if it's it's almost binary it's working or it's not working so yes, there's quite a focus on technology. And look, I mean, legal ops as well. I mean, uh, legal ops, like you just said, it's all about revenue and productivity. And and those are really well linked now. And I actually did some research uh, around this subject over the weekend. And um, Forbes magazine uh, have shared uh, some an article that around an estimated $31.5 billion is lost by Fortune 500 companies due to poor KM each year. And that's around $7,000 of lost revenue per person per year. And that's a wasted time of around two and a half hours a day trying to find information just to get the tasks done that they need to do. So it's all about revenue and productivity to ensure that, you know, get that right and legal ops becomes this successful entity within an organization. But that's a frightening amount of money just on knowledge uh, alone, right? So John, something else I just wanted to kind of ask a bit more detail around if you can when we talk about knowledge management and legal ops here and and you know we're comparing the sort of revenue productivity to combine to make successful legal operations how would you describe or talk about the, the mission of knowledge management you know what is it there to deliver sure thanks for asking that one too i uh i like to you know reference other people that i've learned and studied with and practiced with stan garfield has written many books on this chris collison i think i already mentioned maybe david gertine nancy dixon dr juanita brown and apologies for not listing other names but these people and in our conversations and in our communities are always talking about this exact question so if i can try to oversimplify it to three things things that seem to pop up in most every industry, in most every country, in most every culture. Not every time, but with great regularity, we see three things. Making scarce expertise widely available is a, a core tenant of knowledge management, however that can be applied for value or you know accomplished inside your environment. Making scarce expertise widely available. Stimulating disciplined innovation and growth. 
whatever innovation and growth means to you and your industry, your organization, you're part of the whatever situation you're in, that's a major tenant of what knowledge management delivers or does or practices. And the third most common in no particular order of these three is enabling better and faster decisions. Decision-making, sense-making, meaning-making, learning, all of that kind of fits into this bucket of enabling better and faster decisions. Again, whatever your situation looks like for, for making that happen. And KM would like to play a part, would like to be of value and have an impact if you're working on any of those three things. Thank you. Absolutely. I totally, totally agree. That's the past. Let's talk about the future. Uh, because, you know, part of your role is is really guiding people and, and, and advising people. What are you telling people about the future to be successful within knowledge management? Sure. Love it. Thank you. Uh, conversational leadership is a phrase that I happen to be a fan of. And there's a few other, you know, 5, 10, 20 people working in a, in a similar phrase. I don't know if it's the future. Sometimes, you know, you hear uh, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. If that's true... I am, I guess, through my own subconscious biases and inadvertent biases, noticing quite a focus on are, are organizations having the conversations that they need to be having? One great example of that is what's being, uh, you've probably heard, called the, um, the great resignation right? As if, if the pandemic is now shifting and people have been treated a certain way and organizations have done their best, and it seems to be that lots and lots of people are now leaving organizations, or other people are calling it the great, I can't think of the word they're using now, the great realignment or the great realization, I think is a word I've heard, where maybe it's a new consideration around what is it that organizations provide every day and what is it that people and individuals and teams provide and how can we match those things up and maybe it looks very different than it has for the last 150 or 200 years of certain types of organizations and companies existing so in the future will we will we talk about knowledge management in the same way then do you think Maybe, maybe. I kind of hope so. There's actually articles out there that knowledge management is dead and they about every five or seven years that phrase pops up. Knowledge management is dead. I can't believe we're still talking about it. And yet we're still talking. Like whether you call it knowledge management or something else, there is still knowledge that's trying to flow. So maybe it's good old Shakespeare or Rose by any other name. The king is dead, long live the king. Sure, that too. <laughs> that's exactly what it is, isn't it? So yeah, I mean, look, I mean, from a KM perspective, I think I think it's fascinating. If I was to look at my, I, I first came into legal early 2000s and knowledge management was this this thing on the seventh floor. It was a guarded library with very serious people who would hold the keys to information and some lawyers would go up and they would get their information, spend all day and photocopy and then highlight whatever they were doing. But but now, you know, knowledge management is so into time of technology. And I think it's fascinating to hear of how you're talking to clients around that and, and very exciting, really. Let me ask you that question now. You're an alien. You've just landed on Earth. And you meet this guy and he says, hey, I'm a knowledge manager or I'm into knowledge management or I work in a knowledge management department and, and this is what it is. And you, you've got to define it to this alien. You know, how would you define it? Yeah, uh, the phrase I go to is create an environment for knowledge to flow. 
That's the phrase I go to, but I'm the first to admit it's not perfect. It's not a flawless definition. It, it may not even fit in some organizations. And even that phrase, flow of knowledge, can be really difficult to, what do you mean flow of knowledge? I don't understand. It actually flows really well with what you were just saying about library sciences, right? So a big part of KM came from library. In fact, there's another, I don't know if it's a joke or a phrase we hear in KM a lot is, here's my knowledge. I'm going to hand it to you. You're the knowledge manager. Your job is to manage it for me, right? Like... (laughs) Like, no, that's no, there's some major misunderstanding here of knowledge managers are not managing your knowledge for you. We're creating an environment where knowledge in my moment of need, I no longer have to waste that two and a half hours per day that you talked about in an ideal utopian knowledge management environment, which may never exist anywhere. But that unique and critical knowledge that supports me in this very moment, I can connect to that person, or I can connect to that document, or I can connect to that web app, I can connect to something where maybe I can save some hours or some frustration or just be productive in the way that you know maybe is possible in this time. I think you've just broken down that the mystique of the knowledge manager there quite nicely. And again, you know, that is something that, you know, it's this kind of generic term that people have used over the years. I'm, I'm in KM and people go, oh, that's really interesting without really understanding the responsibility <laughs> of that person. It's like, oh, that's really interesting. Are they, who, who are those guys at the end of the table? Oh, they're, they're the KM people. <laughs> okay. But actually you've just summed it up brilliantly. You know, they, they hold information to enable people and firms and you know and challenges uh and maybe it's been very sort of disregarded potentially over the years but now it's more important than ever as we obsess about data and those data points and the the access of it so yeah really fascinating i'll be interesting to understand very quickly as well we you know we've talked on a few other people about this one about tacit knowledge and 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 how that compares to uh, you know, firm to firm or client to client you've spoken to in the past is, is what are they doing about that challenge? Is, uh, you know, are, are they finding it a problem and, and how are they managing that? Yeah, I love it. So good old tacit knowledge, explicit knowledge and implicit knowledge. Nanaka and Taguchi get full credit for having written a book and, and sort of started KM from that perspective. So yes, always going back to the SECI, Googling that and looking up that model to, to have a pointer for, for you know, definitions and what we're talking about with tacit, explicit, and implicit. Yes. And I love that you've mentioned data and technology many times. That, of course, is the focus on explicit, written down knowledge, really information. The tacit side, yes. Uh, the experience, the lived experience I'm having is at a, a more and more push, more and more focus on the tacit side. Of knowledge management. Like I say, still doing explicit, still doing information management and getting databases and searchability and findability, discoverability. Great. That's all still very important. And we're doing the tacit flow. How does my experience get shared? How do my ideas get co-created and shared? And how is learning happening at different levels of system? How are our individuals learning? How are teams and projects and groups learning? And how is the entire organization? And then as we already talked about, how is our entire country or across countries? How are we learning and producing and you know improving? Amazing, fascinating stuff. John, thank you so much for taking the time out of your morning. I appreciate it's it's early morning for you right now, but thank you for taking the time out of your your busy day to come and have a chat with myself today. I've certainly learned a lot about the past and I've got some ideas for the future. So uh, thank you again. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. The Knowledge Series. For more information, go to legalsolutions.thompsonreuters.co.uk.